0: 5. Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, I'm wearing a sports coat, which means it's either Christmas or Easter, and uh, based on the weather outside, I'm not really sure which, but uh, but it is. Uh, I just want to wish you guys a happy Easter. Really glad that you guys are joining us as uh, our time in worship, as we get to praise the Lord, and as our time in the Word, we get to hear from Him, and so uh, really glad that you guys are here with us this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to be. We, uh, if you're not uh, here normally, or if you're if it's your first time here, uh, I just want to let you guys know we are currently as a church going through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're looking, walking through it, just seeing what Solomon is sees in the book of Ecclesiastes as he is looking for meaning, purpose, and value in our world, and so so we're walking through that. Uh, and we, I encourage you, if you don't have a church home or if this is your first time here, I would love uh, to encourage you guys to come back next week. We'll get back in the book of Ecclesiastes. But this week uh, is a, a special week. Uh, today's a special day where we get to talk and celebrate specifically something that we celebrate every week when we gather. Like Every week when we gather, we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. We sing about it. We praise God for it. We talk about it in his word. Like it, We get to celebrate it every single week. But we especially celebrate it every year on Easter and so I want to I want to just pause ecclesiastes set that aside for a moment and talk specifically and uh, uh, just to remind each and every one of us about how great of an event the r- death and resurrection of Jesus is just uh, just a, a brief reminder of the death and resurrection of Jesus Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 6 is where we're going to be where we can see Paul wrote the book of Romans and this is a letter to a church and and he in this passage reminds us about the death and resurrection of Christ, starting in verse 6. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. It says, While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him, from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. Let me pray for us. We'll get in the word this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And God, I thank you for for the most glorious news in, in all of human history that you as the creator, you as our God, you have decided to save us. You have decided to, to redeem and reconcile us, God, and you, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And we celebrate that and praise that. And God, I praise you for not leaving Jesus in the grave, but three days later, he rose from the grave, walked out of that grave, and we celebrate not just his death, but his life. God, we praise you for that. God, I thank you that that as we dive into your word, God, you speak to us, you, you shape us and mold us. And Father, I pray that this morning you would shape and mold us further in the image of Jesus. God, that you would speak to every single one of us, that we would have ears that are open to hear what you have to say and hearts that are ready to apply it. Father, I pray that we would leave here this morning better than when we came because of our time in your word. God, we love you and praise you, and it's in the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All, most of us, if not all of us, have some trip in the past, some time in the past uh, that we look back to, and we realize like that was a lot of fun. It was a really great time, and it was even better than we thought it was in the moment. Right? These things that we look back on with nostalgia. Like I think about family vacations. So, uh, all of us probably have at least some trip or vacation in the past that we took, and and when we look back on it, yeah, it was fun in the moment. It was fun at the time, but now that we look back on it, we realize, man, that was a really Really good time. Like that was that was a lot of fun, and we grow to appreciate it even more now that it's over. And we, we realize that uh, that we missed we didn't miss out on it. We enjoyed it. We had fun. But man, we didn't realize just how good that trip was, right? Or we think about uh, a lot of times. A lot of people do this with college, right? If you went away to college, uh, a lot of people romanticize their time with college. They look back on it with a lot of fond memories. They think about the time that they spent with their friends, the time they spent playing sports, the time they spent. Uh, in a sorority or a fraternity, and they they think about those times, and they think, man, that that was when they look back on it, they think, man, that was some, those were really really good times. You know, they were fun in the moment, we enjoyed it in the moment, but man, they were even better than I thought it was. Like when now that I'm looking back, like those times were even better than I than I gave it credit for. Like we have these moments of nostalgia as we go throughout life, because we we it, uh, part of nostalgia is thinking, man, I wish I really took full advantage of that when I was in it right like like that moment was so good I wish I recognized just how good it was when I was there there are these times in our lives where things are even better than we give them credit for and we just don't see it we don't recognize it and here's the truth the death and resurrection of Jesus are even better than you give it credit for the death and resurrection of Jesus are even better than you think some of you here this morning, you're thinking, "All right, that's not a really high bar, right?" <laughs> you're like, "You're like, well, I'm. Uh, you, maybe you grew up in church and you used to uh, to be a part of church, but but now you're here this morning because someone dragged you here. You you really didn't plan on being here. You don't really know if you believe this at all. You don't you don't really know if you if you believe this whole thing about God and Jesus. And so so for you, the bar for the death and resurrection of Jesus being better than you think, it's really low. You're like, I don't even know if I believe it in the first place, right? Or maybe you're here and it's your it's the first time in church in a long time. And you're here because you're asking questions and, and you're thinking about eternal reality. You're thinking about God. And, and you're again, you're not really sure if you believe in all of this. And so, uh, and so you're just here asking questions. So again, for you, the bar is really low. The, the death and resurrection of Jesus, I guarantee you, is better than you think it is. Because for a lot of you, you're thinking, well, I don't think very highly of it anyway. Like it's, it's a low bar. But for a lot of you, too. Here, some of you guys, you've grown up in church. You've been at church for a really long time. You've proclaimed Christ for decades. uh, And so when you think of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have this really warm affinity and love for the death and resurrection of Jesus. You sing about it. You praise him for it. You think about it as you read the word. You love the death and resurrection of Jesus. You recognize how important it is and how wonderful it is. But I would say the exact same thing to you. The death and resurrection of Jesus is even better than you think it is even better than you give it credit for. There's one thing that I, I say a lot. Uh, is that God is always bigger than we think he is. That, that we as as people, our view of God is always too small, right? Because He's never. we're never going to have a view of God that's too big. God is infinitely bigger than we think he is. He's infinitely bigger than we give him credit for. And so we're never going to reach a point where we think God is bigger than he actually is. He's Always going to be infinitely bigger than we think he is. And the same is true for the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is always going to be better than you think it is. It is always more wonderful, more incredible, more amazing than we give it credit for. And I just want to remind us of that this morning. Paul in Romans chapter 5, he gives us two reasons that the death and resurrection of Jesus are are even better than we think they are. are, He gives us two reasons to celebrate and praise the Lord for the death and resurrection of Jesus. And and here's the first one. Here's why it's even better than we think it is. The death of Jesus reveals unmatched, matchless love. Jesus' death reveals matchless love. Look with me in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Paul, at the, up to this point in the book of Romans, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul has been making a case that everybody in the world, every single person, is ungodly. That every single person is unrighteous, every single person is unholy, every single person is a sinner and a rebel against God. He's been making this case throughout the book of Romans up to this point. In Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about the, the people that don't claim to know anything about God. They don't claim to to be the people of God. And, and, and he talks about them, how they have rejected God. They have turned from him. They have, they have turned against him and rebelled against him. They've rejected his authority. They've sinned against him. And because of that, they are rebels. They are ungodly, unholy, unrighteous people. And in Romans chapter two, he turns to the, the people of God. He turns to the Jews, the people who, who <coughs> excuse me, their entire lives growing up, they said, we're God's people. God, we are on good terms with God, and they, they would claim all the things that they do, all of the, the religious rituals that they perform, all the, all the sacrifices that they give, all the things that they do for God, and they say, yeah, we are on good terms with God. We and we God are, we are good. We're his people. And Paul in Romans chapter 2, he says the same thing about them that he says about the people in Romans chapter 1. He says, you guys are also unrighteous, unholy, imperfect people. You are also sinners against God. And so this whole case he's been making, he leads up into Romans chapter 3 when he says, this is a quote from Psalms. He says in Romans chapter 3, uh, there is none who are perfect, not even one. He says this again in, in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So up to this point in the book of Romans, what Paul has made very clear to us is that every single one of us is a sinner, Every single one of us is a rebel against God. Every single one of us is ungodly. So when we see in Romans chapter 5 verse 6 when he says Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 6 it's not talking about this, this group of people over in the corner that are like these people are the ungodly and Jesus died for them. It's not talking about those. What he's saying in Romans chapter 6 the ungodly that's all of us. Like we need to see that That every single one of us are ungodly, unrighteous, unholy people. Now, some of you here this morning, you don't need convincing of that. Some of you here this morning are very, very clear on the fact that you are unholy, imperfect, ungodly. that 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 is very evident to you. So you see that before you, this isn't news to you, you're hard on yourself, and so you, you know, like, I am not perfect, I'm not holy, I'm not godly. And when I say that, that we are all ungodly, unholy, imperfect people, you say, yep, that's me. But some of you, you say, you're, you would push back on that a little bit. So you think, well, you know, I, I'm a good person. Maybe I've grown up in church and I do religious things. i I go to church and uh, I I read my Bible sometimes and I pray sometimes and and I, I I pass on random acts of kindness to other people and and I've never cheated. I've never uh, lied or stolen anything. I've never uh, I've never killed anybody. Like that's a that's a plus, you know. Like like I've never I've never uh, beaten or abused my my spouse or my kids. I've never. Uh, I've never done this or that. And we look at other people around us and we say, well, I'm better than them, right? Like, I haven't done what they've done. Uh, and so you, you're looking at your life saying, I don't, I don't know that I would say that I'm, like, ungodly, unholy, unrighteous, like, wicked, evil. Like, those are the words the Bible uses. Like, I don't know. I don't know that I would use those. Like, I'm, I'm a good person. And you know what? You're probably right. And you look at the bell curve of of human behavior, you're probably better than average. If you think, you know, I'm a good person, maybe you are. Maybe you, if you're comparing yourself to all the other people in the world, maybe you are a really good person. Maybe on, on this bell curve of human behavior, you're one or two standard deviations above mean. That's something for the math people in here. Like that's, maybe you're doing, maybe you are a better person than the average human being. Like you do really good things, you're a kind person, you're a good person. Like maybe that's true. And you would say, I'm a good person. But the reality is that what Paul says in Romans still applies to you. Because God's standard for you is not that you're better than the person next to you. His standard for you is not that you're better than your neighbor or not that you're better than, than the people who do X, Y, and Z. God's standard for you is not that you're a good person. God's standard for you is perfection. That is something that all of us fail to meet. When Paul says in Romans chapter 5, Christ died for the ungodly, he, he's not talking about some group of people. He's talking about us. Even if you think you're a good person, what God has required of all of us, what God is expecting of all of us, is that He is the God and we are creatures, right? He is the creator. And we are his creation. And the way that we're supposed to relate to him is we are creatures and he's the creator. So we're supposed to approach him humbly and lay down our independence, lay down our our own desires and wants, and allow him to have full control and authority and leadership over our lives. Allow him to dictate everything about us. That's how we should relate to God because he's the creator and we are creations. And so even if you're a good person, we have all failed in that regard. We have all failed to approach God as creator and to recognize our inferiority as creation. And we have all failed in our way that we relate to God. So we are all sinful, broken, rebellious people who have turned from God, rejected his authority, rejected his leadership, rejected his kingship and lordship over our lives and turned from him, rebelled against him and sinned why Romans chapter 5 is accurate. We are all ungodly. We are all unholy. Paul says in verse 6, while we were still weak, while we were still helpless, while we were still broken, ungodly people who could not get ourselves out of our situation, it says at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, Paul makes this kind of parenthetical statement. He says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. So Paul's talking about people giving up their lives for somebody else. And, and when that happens, like when, when you hear a story of someone who sacrificed himself for, for somebody else, somebody who gave up their lives so that another may live, that is always this, this really awesome, heroic, incredible event. Be- and the reason that it's such a heroic, incredible event is because it's very rare right? Most people are not willing to give up their lives for somebody else. They're not willing to sacrifice themselves so that somebody else may live. It's a rare quality. And Paul says when most people are not willing to do that, and if you're willing to sacrifice yourself for somebody else, more than likely it's because you think highly of that person, right? Or you think positively of the situation. So some of you would say, I I would give up my life for my family, I would I would lay down my life for my wife or my kids. Like I, if someone broke into our home, I, I no matter how scared I might be, like I will I will I will I will act. Because I am willing to even lay down my life for my family. Or some of you served in our military, and so you would say I I would I was willing to lay down my life for our country. I, and implicit in all of these recognitions, like implicit in in all of these decisions to lay down our life and be willing to sacrifice ourselves is the idea that, that the person we're sacrificing ourselves for or the country we're laying down our life for is worth it. Right? Like, like as, That my family should live even if I die. That our country should continue to be free even if it means that it costs me my life. We're willing to lay down our life if it's for a good cause, or if it's for a good person. There's this wonderful story, uh, a guy named Alfred Vanderbilt. His gr- his grandfather was Cornelius Vanderbilt, the the railway mogul who made uh, what today would be about 150 billion dollars in his life uh, er, that he passed on to his kids in the uh, in the in the 18 uh, and 1900s. Started Vanderbilt University. Uh, so th- his grandson Alfred Vanderbilt, born in uh, incredible privilege, incredible wealth, uh, w- had a a remarkable just life. Got to enjoy life. Uh, And he was also a really good businessman. He uh, made a lot of really good investments. He invested in real estate, uh, and he also invested in horses. So one day uh, in 1915, Alfred Vanderbilt, he decided he was going to sail over to England uh, to go meet with people to talk about buying horses. So he got on a boat on an ocean liner and sailed to England. The ocean liner that Alfred Vanderbilt got on was the RMS Lusitania. Uh, Some of you know history. Others you may not know history. But but the RMS Lusitania is the reason, one of the major reasons, that the United States got into World War I. Because while the RMS Lusitania was approaching Ireland, uh, Germany sank it. Uh, A passenger ocean liner with with no military uh, purposes, uh, Germany took a submarine and they sank the boat. Uh, And so Alfred Vanderbilt, as a first class passenger, for any of you that know of the Titanic or have seen Titanic, you know that the first class passengers were treated better than the lower class passengers trying to, in, in situations like these. So as a first class passenger, Alfred Vanderbilt got a life jacket. And he also got an early seat on the lifeboat. And we would expect him to take it. But Alfred Vanderbilt, 37 years old, he took off his life jacket and he handed it to a kid. And he gave up his seat on the lifeboat and he put two or three kids in his spot And then he spent the rest of his life getting women and children onto the lifeboats. And when the ship went down, he went down with it. And that is an incredible story of heroic sacrifice. Like a guy who, who laid down his life so that these women and children could live. And again, implicit in that decision is the idea that they deserve it like the women and children should live, that these kids have their whole lives in front of them and they should, they should get to live them. And so Alfred Vanderbilt was willing to give up his life so that these kids could live. Like he saw the value in it. He saw the, 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 the reason that these kids should live. And so he handed them the life jacket. He handed them the lifeboat and he went down with the ship. He gave up his life because he thought that these people deserved it. They re- he was willing to do it because he thought that they sh- he thought that he should. And A lot of us we think of the death and resurrection of Jesus in that way. That Jesus gave up his life for us because we in his mind we deserve it. Because in his mind we we are we are loved by uh, by him. We are we are highly valuable. Preachers will say it this way. We'll say you know how valuable you are to God. You're worth the death of his son. You know, I, and, and so we think about the the death of Jesus as this wonderful p- proclamation and declaration by God that that we are valuable, that he he likes us a lot, that we are worth saving. And and that's how we view the death and resurrection of Jesus. But look with me in verse 8. God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us, his incredible love matchless love for us and that he gave up his life for us not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, not because he valued us highly and he thought we should live. He gave up his life for us purely because he loved us. Purely because he's a God of love and grace and kindness and he decided to lay down his life to save us. We don't deserve the death of Jesus. We don't deserve the, 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 the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. We were rebels against God. The Bible uses this terminology. We were ungodly. We were weak and helpless. We were sinful and broken. We were evil and wicked. We did not deserve the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We, Jesus didn't die for us because we deserved it. He didn't die for us because he had this really high valuation on us. He died for us purely because he loved us. Because it was his decision to love us. A love that you and I can earn is really not that impressive. Right? I, I mean, it's great if, if someone sacrifices themselves for us because we, we deserve it, because we, they love us. like that, That's great, but that's not worth singing about. Right? That's not a love worth worth praising and declaring. Like a love that we can earn is really not all that impressive. But what's really impressive, what is matchless in our world, is a love that we did not earn and could not earn. And Jesus died for us anyways. The death of Jesus shows a matchless love. People who are still currently rebelling against God, sinning against him, Jesus died for you. Some of you here this morning, you're thinking, I don't know how how Jesus could love me. I don't know how God could love me. Because you know your life, you know your story. You know your addictions, you know your your struggles, you know all the times that you failed God and you're sitting here wondering, how could God love me? How could God like somebody like me? And the reality is that every single one of us should be asking that question. Because the list of reasons that God shouldn't love us is a lot longer than we think it is. Like if, if we laid out all of our sinfulness, all of our brokenness before God, all of the times that we rebelled against him, if we laid it out before him, it would be a list a mile long before God. There are millions of reasons that God shouldn't love us. Like every single one of us should be asking the question, how could God love somebody like me? And what makes it so incredible is that he still loves you. He loves you because he has decided to love you. Because that's who he is. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You're not going to lose it by doing this or that. God purely loves you. What makes the death of, of Jesus so much better than we think it is, is that it reveals a matchless love. A love unlike anything we have ever seen. Second thing, the second reason that the death and resurrection of Jesus are even better than we think they are. <coughs> is that the resurrection of Jesus, his life, supplies matchless salvation. So his death reveals matchless love and his life, his resurrection uh, uh, supplies matchless salvation. Look with me in verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So in Romans chapter 1 Again, as Paul is talking about our sinfulness and our brokenness, our rebellion against God. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. Uh, he, Paul says again in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, We as human beings who have sinned against God and rebelled against him, we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So, so the Bible is crystal clear that God hates sin. And that his wrath is going to be poured out upon it. And Paul makes this clear throughout the book of Romans and in other parts in scripture that, that the wrath of God is coming. It will be poured out on the world. It, God will come and wipe away all the brokenness and sinfulness and wickedness in the world. And all of us who are sinful, broken, rebellious people will be wiped away along with it. God's wrath. God's wrath is poured out on the wickedness, ungodliness, unholiness of mankind. The way we talk about it, frequently is that we as human beings deserve to spend forever separated from God in hell. There is a wrath of God that is upon us and there is a wrath of God that is coming against us because we are sinful, broken, rebellious people. But Paul says here in verse 9, since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, meaning we have been reconciled to God, we've been We've been brought back together with God. Our sins have been forgiven by the death of Jesus. If you place your faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. The mile-long list of reasons that God shouldn't love you are wiped away clean, and you are completely forgiven and made right in the eyes of God. Since we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And we see that in verse 10. How are we saved by him from the wrath of God? If while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The death of Jesus is incredible. It is great news because it is a sacrifice that he made for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. But the death of Jesus without the resurrection of Jesus is powerless. Three days later, the event that we celebrate today occurred, and it is the most glorious event in human history. That After Jesus poured out his blood for us on the cross, after he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, three days later, he walked out of the grave. He walked out of the tomb. And and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that Jesus was the first fruits of the things to come, meaning Jesus went before us. And for those of us who place our faith in Jesus, we will follow after him in the same way. That Jesus was resurrected one day when you and I place our faith in Jesus. One day we will be resurrected from the grave. Jesus was given a glorified body at his resurrection. One day, for you and I who place our faith in Jesus, we will be given a glorified body. And Jesus was ushered into the presence of God and has been there ever since and will be there forever. And one day, after you and I are resurrected and have glorified bodies, we will be in the presence of God forever. Having this glorious, wonderful, eternal life. That is this wonderful salvation that, that the resurrection of Jesus provides. Ephesians 2, that same passage where it says that we are by nature children of wrath, it says that, that because of God's love and mercy for us, he raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the ages to come he might pour out upon us the riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus says that the resurrection of Jesus is a foreshadowing and a promise of what's going to occur for us who place our faith and hope in him. And that we will follow him into the presence of God where God will pour out upon us the riches of his mercy and kindness and love forever. I I think you and I, when we think of heaven or we think of eternal life, our our view of heaven or eternal life is, is weak, weakened by decades of tv shows and movies depicting heaven right so many of us when we think of heaven the picture we get in our mind is this th- this clouds and and I, I these pearly gates and 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 people flying around on clouds maybe playing a harp and wearing togas like i don't i don't know i don't know what exactly pops into your head when you think of heaven but uh, but when we think of heaven we also think of just you know like a slightly better version of earth sometimes like like we get riches we'll get we'll get a big house and we'll get uh, a, a treasure vault full of the treasures that we stored in heaven. Like, like we'll get the slightly better version of earth. All the things that we didn't have here, we're going to get there. And that, that's our view of eternal life. Just a, a little bit better than earth. Like, or uh, we'll be able to fly and float around. Like, it's, it, it's this little bit better version of, of life today. But that, that is a very uh, small and weak prize for following and placing your faith in Jesus the salvation that the resurrection of Jesus provides is infinitely better than that. Because here's the great news, not that you and I are going to get to, to fly around or, or live in a big house or get big treasures in a vault. Like, like all of that maybe be, ha- the Bible's very unclear on exactly what heaven's going to look like, so maybe we will. I have no idea. But the, the reality is that what's the most valuable thing about eternal life is not the ability to fly or live in a big house or get any, any good things. The most valuable thing about the salvation that Jesus provides is the fact that we get to be in the presence of the almighty creator forever. We have an unfettered access to the creator. And it says in Ephesians that God will pour out upon us the riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Think about a relationship that you have with a, with a parent or a friend where that parent or friend wants to pour out upon you kindness and and grace or think about the what that translates to and and the gifts that they give and the and the words that they say and the environment that they create and how wonderful it is if you if you have the blessing and the privilege of having parents that 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 want to give you kindness and grace and 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 pour that out upon you think about the the blessing that that is or if you have a friend or, or someone around you that that just makes life better because you're around them and they are pouring out kindness and grace upon you, think about what a blessing that is. Like your life is better when you're around them. That the environment they create is better. That, the, that the, the gifts that they give are better. And now multiply that by an infinite amount because the God of the universe, the creator of all things, wants to pour out upon you the riches of his kindness and grace forever. Like That's what makes the salvation so incredible. Like, think about what he provides, what he gives, the, the things he says, the things he does, the environment he creates. We can only begin to imagine how incredible it's going to be that the creator of all things wants to pour out upon you the riches of his grace and kindness forever. The salvation that God provides in Jesus is better than we think it is a matchless salvation that is even better than we give it credit for and think about how far we've come like just in from the beginning of Romans that we are sinful broken rebellious people people who have spurned God rejected his authority and rulership over our lives we are ungodly unholy unrighteous evil wicked people according to Romans that's where we were Jesus died for us anyways because of his love for us to forgive us, to make us clean, to have a restored relationship with God. And then he rose again from the grave so that we could follow him into the presence of God where we will be forever and God will pour out upon us the riches of his grace and kindness. I Think of how incredible that journey is, how incredible that transformation is. And at no point did we earn it. At no point did we deserve it. God still chooses to to do it for us anyways. That's why verse 11 is the the natural result of this gospel message. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Like putting it all together, the death and resurrection of Jesus, like that should produce within us a rejoicing and a praise to the Lord. Like when we think about how incredible the story is that we as sinners and rebels he died for us because of his immeasurable, matchless love for us. And that he will pour out upon us the riches of his kindness and grace forever if we place our faith and hope in him. And that produces within us a joy and his excitement. That, that is why we sing. That is why we gather. That is why we spend time in his word because it, it brings about this joy and excitement and energy in us that God, who created all things, would treat us this way. The God that we've rebelled against and sinned against would treat us this way. It's glorious and credible. That is why it's called the gospel. Gospel means good news. It is great news. And it is better news than we think. Some of you here this morning, again, you're thinking, I don't don't know that God can love me. Because you're looking at your life and you're looking at your story and you're looking at all all the times that you've made promises to God. You know, are thinking about all the times where you've promised God that you, you wouldn't go back to what you were doing before. Where you have promised God you're not going to go back to porn. You're not going to, to g- g- continue sleeping around. You're not going to go back to alcohol. You're not going to go back to getting high. Like, you're not going to go back to, to fits of anger and rage. Like, you promised God again and again and again. Like, it's not going to happen again. And again and again and again it happens. And so you know your life, and you're looking at your story, and you're saying, how can God love somebody like me exactly? That's how great the love of God is. because He knows all of that. He knows the times that you failed. He knows the times that you failed him again and again and again, and he knows every time you'll ever fail him in the future, and he still decides to love you. He still gave up his life for you on the cross. He rose again three days later so that you could have eternal life. So some of you here this morning, that's the boat you're in. You've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, and you're looking at your life, and you're wondering, like, uh, maybe you're thinking, I-, I don't know that I earned this. I don't know that I deserve this. Maybe you coming to church this morning is your way of trying to clean up and, and, and get things a little better between you and God. But, but the reality is that you don't need to do any of that. Jesus loves you, and he gave up his life for you. And this morning, in order to have eternal life and the forgiveness of your sins, to be made right with God this morning, all you need to do is place your faith and hope and trust in him. Or maybe you're here this morning and you realize that you've been living your entire life, that you, you've been a good person and that's it. That you are banking on, on your goodness to be the reason that you get to have eternal life. The reality is that you're approaching God on your terms. Because you're saying, here are all the things that I've done for you, here are the religious things that I've done, here are all the the things that I've done for the church, here are all the the good things that I've done, and you're bringing those before God and saying, God, you better love me because here are the things that I've done. You're not approaching God as a creature. You're not approaching God in that he is the creator. You are approaching God on your terms. And the same thing is true for you. What God wants to do for you is to, to give you eternal life. But what you have to do is to place your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, to lay down yourself, to humble yourself, to say, God, I need it. I need your salvation. I need the grace and the forgiveness that the death of Jesus provides. And if you're if you're uh, here this morning and you've placed your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, th- then a lot of what I've said this morning is probably not news to you. Y- y- you Base, you understand the gospel. You know the death and resurrection of Jesus. You're here on Easter. You're celebrating it. Like, it's not news to you. But, but what's incredible is that the gospel is not like Christianity 101 that you never go back to. Like, the gospel is the core of everything that we do. Like, it's the reason we sing. It's the reason we gather. The gospel is so incredible. The love <coughs> and the grace of God <coughs> are so incredible and so wonderful. That it should change everything about us. It should change the way that we talk. It should change the the things that we do. It should change the the way that we live. It should change everything about us. So this morning, if you've placed your faith and hope in Jesus, my prayer for you this morning, as you you will reflect on the gospel and be stirred to praise and joy in the Lord and that it would overflow into every aspect of your life. You've been shown a lot of love. Show unconditional love to others. You've been shown immeasurable amounts of grace. Pour out grace upon others. You've been set free and forgiven from sin and death. Don't run back to it. Like My prayer for you, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, that, that you, would, you would reflect on the gospel and allow it to change every aspect of your life. In just a second, we're going to pray and we're going to sing. If you're here this morning, you've never placed your faith and hope in Jesus. Whether you are really down on yourself wondering if God can love you or you're really high on yourself assuming that God should love you, in either way, if, if you've never placed your faith and hope in Jesus this morning, you can have the opportunity to do that. You can trust in him as Savior and you can go from death to life. You can be forgiven of your sins. Uh, you, can, you can be restored and reconciled to God. And you can have eternal life in Jesus. If that's you this morning, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, what I'm going to invite you to do is while we sing, I'm going to be standing right here. What I'd love for you to do is I'd love you to come up here, I'd love to pray with you, and then I'd talk with you after the service about what it means to follow Jesus. If you don't want to come up here, that's fine. We'll have people in the back who would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. And if, if walking the aisle is too scary, grab me before you leave. But do not leave here without talking to me about placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you've placed your faith in Jesus, allow the gospel to fill your mind and to fill your heart and let it overflow.